listening to the podcast edition of One Love, One Planet. Welcome to One Love, One Planet with me, Penny Southgate. Um, and I'd like to welcome Roy Kareem into the studio. Roy, I've been trying to get you in here for months, it feels like. So yeah. welcome. Oh. Of course, you were on before Christmas, weren't you, I think? Um, and at the time, um, you were talking about some work that you've been doing when you were one of the Black and Green Ambassadors, which is what Roy has come on to talk about today, amongst other things as well, <laughs> I'm sure. Right, OK, we are going to start, as always, with the Almanac, and some of this is taken from one of my favourite books, The Almanac by Leah Lender. So, Leah, if you happen to be listening, thank you so much for this. Um, right, here we go. This is this week's edition. Despite the arrival of warmer weather, springtime is a lean period for British fruit and vegetables. Known as the hungry gap, it's the time between the end of winter crops and the harvest of the new season. However, some seasonal fruit and veg are still available. Keep an eye out especially for spring greens, rhubarb and asparagus. The asparagus season in the UK is short. Make the most of it between late April and late June. Late May is also the season of sweet scented elderflower. Gather bagfuls of it and take it back to your kitchen to make elderflower cordial or elderflower champagne. Other plants for foraging now are the aniseed-scented flowers of Sweet Sicily and also the leaves of Good, Good King Henry, Wood Sorrel and Watercress. For gardeners, this quarter of the month sees the waning of the full moon and with it a drawing down of energy. Sow and plant crops that develop below ground in this quarter, root crops, bulbs and perennials. And if your spring bulbs are overcrowded, now is the time to lift them out, split them apart and replant them. Roy, do you do any gardening at all? Mm, is it, are you a I'm, fan? I'm, I'm a wannabe gardener right. rather than an actual <clears throat> yep. gardener. I did plant some mint over the weekend just because my daughter's obsessed by mint. So we, we right. put, popped a few plants in, but... Yeah, I, I talk I talk about how good it is for people and then I don't do it myself. Yeah. Well, mint is supposed to be voracious. Yeah. I planted, I don't know how many plants. It doesn't, it's certainly yeah, not pe- voracious. People are always like, oh, I'll take over Yeah, it'll take over. Like, yeah, no. No. <laughs> no, exactly. It hasn't. And I was, I'm a bit disappointed this year because last, I'm also try, kind of learning and last year I planted a few crops and the peas were amazing. Mm like petit pois yeah, type, yeah. beautiful. They never made it to the saucepan because they were just so lovely. Um, and this year, it seems like all the snails and slugs are back. Ah, so they've all been eaten. Yeah. Actually, there's one pot they haven't discovered yet. So, <laughs> I'd, yeah, yeah, not yeah. quite sure what I'm going to do about that. But yeah. anyway. No, I'd like, I mean, mainly I'd like to get my, my eight-year-old daughter into it. But yeah. As in, I'd, I'd like to inspire her to do it, even though maybe I'm not that. Well, <laughs> mint's a good start. You never yeah, know. Yeah. Might take off at some point. Right. OK, we are going to start today with an update from um, Nikhil Sharma, who spoke to us last week about the um, landfill 
that had been on fire for 10 days in Delhi because of this, this heat wave that they're experiencing at the moment. Um, he's an ecopreneur, and he, in other words, that he means he creates businesses that solve environmental problems. Um, so here he is to tell us about what's going on at the moment. A very warm hello and a namaste to everyone from India. I am Nikhil Sharma from India, an ecopreneur. Today I will be updating you about following environmental issues trending in India. First, landfill burning due to heat wave. Second, heat wave and effects of heat wave on beings. Third, water scarcity and electricity crisis. First, the landfill burning. I will be quoting the Delhi Fire Services. They said that this was one of the longest operations as most fires, including ones at landfills, are cooled down in just two to five days. But this one took more than 10 days. Second, heat wave and effects of heat waves on beings. The maximum temperature in parts of Delhi crossed 49 degrees Celsius on Sunday, 15th May. A level never recorded before in the national capital, according to the Indian Meteorological Department. The trending heat wave hitting India has dehydrated birds, which resulted in falling from the sky. Heat wave have already killed at least 6,500 people in India since 2010. As India's heat wave also highlights the extreme climate inequalities experienced between classes within nation. The poorest are worst affected with the fewest resources are unable to afford the electricity or materials to cool down. Third, water scarcity and electricity crisis. The states of India, Maharashtra, Gujarat, Rajasthan, have been facing serious water crisis since 2017-2018. As water sources dry out, beings become dehydrated and have been falling daily. Energy shortages, which have been resulted in power outages, lasting for up to 8 hours a day in parts of India. This means long periods without access to necessities, including water, these are very big concerns which we all should hear, talk and aware each other about, educate each other about. Climate change is here. For more updates, follow the host on Twitter. At the rate Southgate underscore Penny. And if you would like to follow me, at the rate Nikhil username. Many thanks for listening to me. Take care. Hashtag support rewilding. There you go. Nick Hill, thank you very, very much <clears throat> for sending us that update. I mean, it sounds really bad. Um, I just hope that at least those temperatures drop soon. I, I had a quick look and I understand that the bean crop is one of India's main crops. Um, I don't know how much of it has been affected by heat stress, but... But Nick Hill is, and by the way, if you wanted to follow him on Twitter and find out what he's doing, his name is spelt N-I-K-H-I-L and then S-H-A-R-M-A. He says he's drafted a rewilding report and submitted it to the Commission of Air Quality Management, which looks at the causes of pollution in high-tech cities of India 
and how we can solve to improve um, solve it to improve the air quality and to create green jobs by planting the right tree at the right place with the right objective. Um, I mean, it sounds like such a good idea and. Bristol, we need we need trees absolutely everywhere. I think I think it's just something we should be doing automatically. So I think it would it would be good to to keep up with how you're doing, Nikhil. So if you have any news on on what the commission says, and if you get the go ahead to do something, then please just let us know. Right. Okay. The where are we? This is a piece of news. I thought we should hear about the volume of raw sewage being dumped into uk rivers will remain hidden after the government rejected a recommendation by mps that water companies should be required to measure it the environmental audit committee recommended in a report in january that water companies should be required to install volume monitors to assess discharges the government response published yesterday or a couple of few days ago i think rejects the recommendation and repeats arguments put forward by water companies that monitoring was difficult and expensive. Kelsey Prees. Because the water companies, aren't they're not run by sort of scientists and engineers um, and ecologists. They are, they are owned by banks. And it does seem as if what is leading all the, the way water companies is, is run is money and profits rather than the best thing that should be done. And also, it just gets more complex. The government has also rejected the committee's recommendations on cutting river, river pollution caused by the growth in intensive livestock units, typically involving pigs and poultry. The MPs called for a presumption against planning permission for units where they posed a risk to protected rivers. The committee received evidence that the Y River was being choked by toxic algae blooms that might be caused by manure from intensive chicken farms being spread on farmland. But the government has rejected that as well. Um, so I think we should be making a big fuss about that. Um, staying alert. I think there are all sorts of things we need to stay alert about. Um, right, OK, there are a couple of things I wanted to let you know about Things protesting. Um, Jennifer Kowalski is somebody who I mentioned last week, but I didn't have her name. She was um, part of a protest in Glasgow last week and um, she ended up being arrested in the middle of the night in her nighty, taken down to the police station and was then released after being told that um, she must no longer attend any protests. Um, her mother put a statement out on Twitter to say just just sort of how shocking it was. Um, and I got in touch with her. And this was a statement that Jennifer gave a few days ago. Um, she says, Today I was arrested for attending a peaceful protest in Glasgow. The police told the press that they weren't making arrests and the protests raised no concern. But then they showed up at my house in the middle of the night, bearing in mind, to arrest me, saying they didn't want to make arrests at the event. I wonder why. I was stewarding said protest, helping organisers by leading the march along the planned route. Somehow this was proof, in inverted commas, that I organised the protest, even though I was occupying an oil site and under constant police surveillance while the protest was being organised. 
Maybe I was the target because I called out the cops for their complicity in the climate crisis in my speech. I was released with the condition that I don't attend or plan any other protests between now and the 22nd of July, which is my court date, which means that for over two months, if I do anything worthwhile to help defend our planet, I'm likely to be arrested or even put in prison. So now the very thing that gets me out of bed every day and gives me hope, community and a will to live is now illegal to me all because I attended a normal, peaceful protest. It's illegal for me to defend life on Earth and to stand up for human life, but it's legal to own and run a company that is destroying the environment and killing people. Air and in brackets, she's put, air pollution kills millions every year and the people responsible get away with it. So, um, mm. I, yeah, I know. Yeah, I, and I had not heard of this. No. Young woman. No, exactly. It's not been... I don't think it's been in the press. Um, I only know about this because I got a, um, a, a press release from Just Stop Oil. Mm -hmm. So it's yeah. not been in the mainstream press. But I think this is happening a lot now. Um, and there are loads of protesters in prison, of course, that we, don't, we just don't hear about them now. Yeah. But there is another... The, the last sort of news story I want to bring you which is slightly different, is um, XR rebels in New York have been doing a lot of climate activism in New York recently, and one of them was the successful blockade of a press printing plant, which meant that copies of the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal didn't make it onto the shelves that day. Um, the titles were targeted for their greenwashing advertising and it took police over six hours to cut rebels free from the plant's driveway and arrest them. But, they said, in an unprecedented display of leniency, the NYPD then let the rebels blockading a separate entrance go free and take all their gear home with them, including barrels, sleeping dragons, tripods and a boat. Um, an NYC rebel believes this strange sympathy for our cause stems from the rainstorms in the city back in September where police were scrambling to save New Yorkers from the resultant flash floods but couldn't stop 13 people from losing their lives in basement apartments. After those floods, many in the police realised that XR was highlighting a crisis that they would be the clean-up crew for. And they've said since then they've had signals of support from the police. They, they said they just keep coming. So, hmm. that's interesting. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good, isn't it? That, um, just going back to the, the, the person from India talking about the heat wave. Yeah. I wanted, have, you, have you read um, Ministry of the Future? No, but I saw a quote yesterday. Sorry, yeah. Yeah, so yeah which, is, which is a sort of a science fiction book, but not, you know... Science fiction as in near future, not as in spacefaring kind of science fiction. And it's by Kim Stanley Robinson, um, who's written, you know, a bunch of stuff around sort of climate issues. And I think this was his latest one. And I read it about a year ago and it's, it's really powerful and it's about essentially a sort of quasi-UN thing getting set up a ministry to be the voice of future generations, essentially. And, but it begins... And this is not, I don't think this is a spoiler for anyone who wants to read it, but it begins with a massive heat wave in India where the temperatures get up to, I can't remember, 70, 80 degrees centigrade and end up killing 20 million people or something. And that's kind of the impetus for sort of the rest of the story of where 
the Indian government or the Indian people say, right, that's it, enough. And so they sort of set off on their own sort of geoengineering yeah. route and all kinds of things spiral from that. But that's sort of like that heat wave in India is like the, the sort of catalyst oh, of the whole story. Um, do you know when that was written? I think it was about two or three years ago. I, it, got, it got a lot of publicity because oh, okay. it, like, it was like, you know, one of Barack Obama's like top ten books of the year whenever it came out. So it got, it got sort of a little bit of limelight at the time. Mm. And, and now I've definitely it's sort of done the circles in my sort of environmental groups yeah, yeah, my husband's reading it right now. Ah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's good. It's really good. Yeah. 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 Yeah, no, I thought I, I need to get to it. And there seem to be several sort of environmental um, book clubs doing the rounds. So yeah. I thought I need to start. If I had a longer programme, I'd have a little <laughs> art section. Oh, I group. would. I'd, yeah, well, I'd love to just do a book or a film or a TV yeah. show or a piece yeah. of music, you know. Yeah. Um, maybe, maybe one day. Um, interesting. So there you go. The Ministry of the Future by Kim Stanley Robinson. Reasons to be cheerful. One, two, three. Um, right, I have a few bits of good news you will be glad to hear. Um, I talked on the show before about the US selling millions of acres of oil and gas um, leases. Anyway, the Interior Department confirmed on Wednesday that it has cancelled three of these lease sales that would have opened up millions of acres of ocean to oil and gas drilling. Um, two of these lease sales would have taken place in the Gulf of Mexico and a third would have been off the coast of Alaska. So that is good news. It all chips away. It's good stuff. And California's Attorney General has just launched an unprecedented investigation into the fossil fuel and petrochemical in industries and plastic pollution. And this starts with a subpoena to ExxonMobil to determine its alleged role in deceiving the public over the, de the dangers of fossil fuels. Thirdly, Morrison's, M&S, Waitrose and Ocado have signed up to the Refill Coalition and the aim is to make package-free shopping mainstream in the UK. And this is huge since supermarkets use an estimated 59 billion pieces of single-use plastic packaging every single year. Oh, my gosh, that is so massive. I, it's just when you see those three tiny slices of mango in a thick pla plastic yeah. box, you know, you think, we've, this is just crazy. Um, and the final piece of news is, and I thought this connects up, I, Roy, I always remember you saying when you came in <coughs> last time and I asked you all, if you could do one single thing to try and make a difference... What, what, of, what, what did well, I say? <laughs> you said you said I think it was it was something along the lines of I want people to feel connected to the earth that we're part of this one sort of single system mm. and connected to each other and I just thought everything seems to come down to that all mm -hmm. the time that we 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 need to understand that we are part of this single sort of earthly system and we're not separate to it anyway so this does sort of connect up with it um, the education secretary. Nadeem Sahawi has announced the introduction of a new GCSE in natural history, which will be available to students from 2025. And in a, a magazine, in the conversation, Mark Fellows and Joanna Reed Johnson write that um, engaging young people in their natural environments not only allows them to develop their eco capabilities, it also influences how they learn. It provides opportunities to connect place and science through problem-based education, encouraging people to think of the natural world as an interconnected system with lots of moving parts. 
and it's only by seeing the connections of nature how our pulling at threads in the web of life endangers more than individual species that we can understand the looming threats and ways of avoiding them. It's so true. Yeah, great. Um, yeah, because I just thought, actually, that underpins everything. Listeners, a little bit about you, if because they, they might not have heard you the first time round. Yeah, I, I won't. I won't presume they have. Um, so <laughs> yes, I'm Roy Kareem. I was one of the Black and Green Ambassadors for Bristol, which, for those who don't know, was a program. I mean, it was set up a few years ago under the previous name of the Green and Black Ambassadors for Bristol, um, and then I think they got worried about being sued by the chocolate company, um, so they they changed the Black and Green Ambassadors. Um, Essentially, it kind of relaunched in late 2020, and it was a partnership between Bristol Green Capital Partnership, which is like a big umbrella group in Bristol, um, Ujima FM. And the idea was sort of in response to Bristol being named European Green Capital back in 2015, and there being felt like there was a lack of diversity amongst the voices, that the, the, the communities of colour in Bristol weren't being represented in those conversations. So they had this scheme to sort of bring in leaders of colour, I guess, and elevate them, develop them. So in that first year, it was myself, Olivia Sweeney and Asia Youssef, who were the, the three ambassadors for Bristol. And then it was, we were there for 12 months. It was paid two days a week. And yeah, I mean, the, the main idea was for us to go and speak to communities, find out what was happening for them around... Yeah, any any issues to do with what we might call sort of environment sustainability stuff, but they might talk about it in completely different language and then sort of bring those stories to the fore. Um, we started just as we were about to go into the second lockdown. So, in fact, a lot of that community stuff shifted to speaking a lot of online conferences and doing a lot of stuff kind of remotely just because of that's, that's the situation we're in. But then it kind of culminated with me and Olivia going up to speak at COP26. And I think we came in just before yeah. that was, is that right? Mm. Yeah. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's sort of the black and green ambassador side. So I've officially left as an ambassador, the four or three new amazing ambassadors who've taken that on. But I'm still sort of involved with them because I don't think, I think once you've done it, you don't, you don't leave, you don't leave the family. And then my other day job is to run something called Bright Green Future, which is an environmental leadership program for 16 to 19-year-olds from around the UK. And that's based at the Centre for Sustainable Energy, which is a charity based in Bristol, which has been going for about... Well, the charity has been going for just over 40 years and Bright Green Future has been going for about five years. Brilliant. Yeah. Fantastic. There you go. I, and I'm interested to hear to say that you're, you, you, you don't leave, as it yeah, were. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do you think it... Did it make a difference to your life? It definitely made a difference to my life, yeah. I think the harder question is, would it be like, did it make a difference in the wider sort of... It must do, mustn't it, surely? I hope, um, I hope so, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it definitely, it, it's got a lot of love and attention um, as, as a sort of initiative. Um, you know, it came, it launched, I think, about three or four months after the death of George Floyd and Black Lives Matter sort of really rising to sort of the public consciousness so it kind of 
for, for better or worse, it kind of came at a sort of unique time mm. when people were thinking a lot about these ideas of intersectionality, how does race and environment, how do they all mix together? Um, and I think it was quite, or it is quite a positive kind of looking program and does it in kind of quite a unique way and tries mm. to deal with those issues. Um, for myself, though, yeah, no, it was, it was life-changing. I mean, it suddenly meant we were thrown in front of audiences and people and given platforms that you just wouldn't normally get. And to a certain extent, I think the pandemic, to some extent, made it even more so of that suddenly you were you were at a national conference on Zoom that I don't think you would have been at maybe if, you know, you weren't in the pandemic just because of, you know, yeah. just the, the nature of suddenly being able to do that. Um, and then I think, you know, it also just gave us, and I think I can say this on behalf of all three of us, just a lot more confidence about going out, speaking to people, mm. even when we weren't, you know, I think before that, I would definitely have felt, oh, I'm not an expert in this. I don't really know what I'm talking about. And just sort of classic imposter syndrome kind of mm. things. And I think just doing that program where you were just kind of like pushed out and you were sort of like, well, here you are, here's your, here's your microphone, and off you went. And so I think just doing that was was a real sort of, yeah, life-changing yeah. experience. Brilliant. And um, the three of you all did your own sort of, as it were, research project, didn't you? Yeah, that's right. And please, can you tell us about yours? What yeah, you of do? course. So mine was around people's connections to their green spaces to their urban green spaces so what how did they use local parks or blue spaces you know bits of water when what did those mean to them had it changed since they were growing up how did they grow up were they outdoors much or were they indoors so i essentially ran about six interviews with people across the city um from black and brown communities went and met them in a park or green space that was meaningful to them and just talked about sort of that relationship. And yeah, it was, and then uh, yeah, I recorded those interviews and made them into sort of a little podcast series. And it was, yeah, it was fascinating. Um, they were, they were so open kind of with what they were talking about. And I think, I hope it was interesting for them in terms of them reflecting. I'm going, yeah, no, I kind of, this is how I grew up. Um, and then this is how it's changed and now I've got my own kids or whatever it might be and, you know, I really see that they spend a lot of time on their screens and I want to get them out more or I can really see the benefits for my mental health when I am outdoors and just, you know, they were, they were so sort of willing to sort of explore those ideas with me. So, yeah, it was, it was, it was really fascinating and there's so much, it's such a rich sort of uh, lot of data behind all of that of kind of just... A, the discrepancies and inequalities by who has mm. access to green space and who doesn't have access That's to green space. That's the thing space I and, thought was interesting, yeah. where you were saying that, um, you know, it, it's free, yeah, but not everybody has the same access to it. Yeah. Can you just maybe just elaborate a little bit yeah. more? Yeah, and so this, this idea of sort of, I guess, spatial inequality, especially in cities but in other places as well, um, where, you know, it when you think about it, it's obviously like a well-known thing that if you have beautiful green spaces, then, for example, the houses around those areas will be much more expensive. If you go to less well-off areas, they will have a lot less green space, or if they do have it, it will be under-resourced, less looked after. And so you just get this inequality of access. So, you know, um, Sudi, one of the persons I interviewed who lives on an estate in Kingsdown, sort of Stokescroft area, um, 
was saying, you know, for her to get to what she would consider sort of a decent green space, it's, you know, it's like a 45-minute bus ride or it's like, you know, or or it'd be like hiring a car and driving out of the city. And then she was also talking about how the fact, and this is like another layer of being uncomfortable in that space because they're the only, you know, they're a Muslim family, they're the only ones wearing like hijabs out Mm. there in like, you know, in a national trust property or whatever it might be. So you both have sort of where you are and what you have access to and then how comfortable you are in that space when you do get access to it. So there's just like multiple layers. And there was a there was an academic called Julian Adjuman, who's a, a black British academic, but who's in the States now, has been for quite a while. And he came and spoke at the Black and Green Ambassadors launch event. And he, you know, he really gets into sort of the the academia of this how cities are designed and how kind of racial inequalities start to get baked in to sort of, you know, how, how cities are planned out, who gets access to what, where transportation is, all, all those kinds of things, and how those things, even if people now aren't biased in any particular way, you're dealing with a system yeah. that was created when those biases were, were very much at the forefront. Yeah, I yeah. remember, on that note, I remember somebody telling me, that because I've always complained that... Um, radial systems of yeah. transportation are quite good. So getting from the outside of the circle into the centre. Yeah. But if you've got to go orbitally, as yeah. it were, around yeah. it, yeah. Um, it just takes forever and you have to get a 1,000 buses. Yeah. And somebody told me, well, that's because they were designed by men who had to get from, had to commute into the centre. Right. That was central to their thinking. Right. Yeah. And they didn't have to go orbitally. They didn't yeah. have to go across town. Yeah, it's so, And so I mean, you so don't have those routes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like, like you say, it's it's but we don't see it. It's this invisible sort of layout for well, us. Well, we just we I don't... think we just begin to think that the way things are are just the way they are, mm. as in that's the way they have been. Like yeah, I mean, Bristol's a classic example where you have got like the M32, you know, very close to where we are now. It just kind of cut through a neighbourhood. It was just demolished because mm. it was you know very socioeconomically, you know, it was viable to do that because it was like well, you know, nobody will care about this. Um, and now, if you were moving to Bristol, you'd be like, oh, well, this, this is kind of like the way it is. And it's like, no, this was like intentionally planned. Um, and it could have been different with, mm. with, you know, other people behind it, but it wasn't. And different kinds of thinking might have led to different results. And then, you know, you split a community apart when you put in a, you know, mm. put a motorway through it. Mm. Um, you were talking about, you know, cycling, cycling yes. in today. Yeah, you did it. You <laughs> I did it. Did it. I, did I have it. to say, this was... I mean, oh. I've I've been meaning to to cycle to the studios, put my money where my mouth is, actually, and today was the very yeah. first day because because I was it's crazy, but just the whole thing crossing the M thirty two is just yeah. oh it's mad. No, anyway, it's, yeah, it's like I mean that's a, le- a legitimate thing of just kind of like you know nobody no like you know nobody wants to cycle anywhere near a motorway mm. for for quite normal reasons. No. It's like, In fact, it's not, it was fine. Yeah, because the yeah. cycle paths are they're now all yeah. there. So, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. So I mean, so yeah, I think I think those those interviews that research i did for the ambassadors was just a way to try and bring some of those stories to the surface and there are two um in particular i would love to um just touch on and one is enrico yep. could you tell us a little bit about enrico he was one of your six yeah people. yeah so enrico who is just yeah a fascinating character uh born and raised in eastern um heritage i believe is from jamaica and he, so basically he sort of rediscovered the outdoors. I would, you know, he's now sort of a middle-aged guy, but went off, joined the Marines when he was 16, I believe, came out of the Marines fairly recently, 
and then went into the fire service. So then he was a firefighter for a bunch of years and then I think finished that in the last couple of years, just before the pandemic. And so his, you know, he had this really unique relationship of A, you know, Eastville Park was like his green space when he was growing up. Mm. And he talked about, though, when he was growing up, there, you know, lots of skinheads and he sort of like didn't feel like a place where if you were black, you wanted to go. Um, But then his outdoor exposure kind of came from the Marines of just like, you know, having to just like march, march around and sort of be trained in that and be have to just become very, very comfortable in lots of conditions in the outdoors. And then obviously being a firefighter, you know, a whole kind of different scenario. And then to now where he set up um, this walking group called Soul Trail Wellbeing, which is essentially to get people outdoors and walking. Um, and all kinds of groups, whether, you know, the old, young, black, white, it's kind of just like for everyone just to get them out. And that kind of started, I think, from him realising how beneficial it was for him to be outdoors and walking and hiking and him wanting to go, well, I want to bring this to other people. The pandemic had just kicked in, you know, so he's really concerned about how much time people were spending indoors. So, yeah, they've, they've set up this um, this CIC, Soul Trail Wellbeing, to get people out. And I think, you know, they've got a little bit of funding now and so they're, you know, they're going forward with it. But... Just a really interesting character. And the way he talks about stuff is just it's like... It's wonderful. Yeah, In yeah. fact, I'm just going to see if this works because I have pulled up um, his your the podcast you yeah. did, which is just... I mean, it's delightful. I could just listen to him talk all day. I'm just going to see if we can get... Let's just see if we can get some. I think what shifted is that the COVID took away our freedom. So the only thing we could do is walk. Because all of a sudden, mankind thought, my God, I can't sit in all day. So just walk in your local area and discovering roads and lanes you didn't know were there, you know. And then you went further afield. You just went to local parks. And people went to further afield into sort of common areas, then further afield into countryside. And I've done some beautiful sites from Scotland. Don't ask me where. I can't remember after names. But um, Scotland was was eye-catching. And I felt liberated I felt free and I felt I was in the present I felt mother nature talking to me I know it sounds crazy it's sounds like mother nature talking to me saying hi how you doing do you know what I mean it's certain parts of my walks around the Caledonia I felt like I was on a film set you know and I, I, I expected a deer a reindeer to come out and start talking to me or I expected some sort of squirrel to come out and paying the panpipes and say how you doing it that was the feeling i got do you know what i mean it was enchanting it, it was it engulfed me I, I can't explain it It was so uplifting like a spiritual moment and i get that by by being by water by seeing the rivers flowing and seeing um salmon or a carp moving you know all these different features if you open your mind and look around you and just like now we're sitting look at this pond the winds see the trickle isn't that beautiful to watch to see the sunset coming off the water do you know what I mean that there is just is mind blowing do you know what I mean to see the different prisms of colours going through water and where it leads how, how it flows round I mean is that if you open your mind and look around you there's no pressure from the outside world Mother Nature opens your mind, you can close your eyes, you can meditate, and you could be a kid in your mind, do you know what I mean? Or you could be an adult in your mind, 
You could be anything. And then open your eyes, think, God, I've just cured my headache. My problem at work, I've had it with a colleague. I've semi-cleared it. I know I'm going to approach it now. You know, it gives you answers. It's weird, man. It's, I can't explain it, people. It's just weird. It gives you um, a sense of, of, of um, I can't, what am I looking for? It gives you a sense, a, a real powerful feeling of self-healing. Um, you look internally, and once you get rid of the rubbish you're storing in your head, come on, yeah, it's, it's simple, man. He is, he is a joy to listen to. He, he's just such a tonic. You yeah. know, I do this sort of press-pause thing at the end of the programme. I think just put Enrico on for a few <laughs> minutes. So, yeah, so while we're about it, actually, how can people listen to your podcasts? So it's on Sound SoundCloud, um, and, yeah, it's um, called Park Lives, P-A-R-K-L-I-V-E-S. Um, and maybe I can send send a link over. Yeah, send me BCF. the link, and yeah. I'll put it on the BCFM yeah. Facebook page. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I've, I think I've got quite a few links for this week, actually, so I, <laughs> I keep forgetting to put links on, but I will do it this yeah. week because they are they are really inspiring to listen to. Um, and the other the other person I wondered if you could just say a little bit about um, is Sophie. Yeah, yeah. I mean. Really, another just sort of fascinating character. Um, so she really kind of, you know, she grew up in, in the countryside and, you know, as she described it, she was the only sort of black girl in the village um, and used to just use the outdoors as a girl growing up um, just as a sort of space to sort of reflect and think and carry that on all the way through into her adulthood and was, you know, very into sort of solo hiking. Um, and, you know, and she talks about being, you know, a lone woman doing that and how that feels and how she's done it internationally and gone to different places. And then is, a, is as another person that, because she drew such benefit from being outdoors and walking, she started to think, well, how can I bring this to other people and specifically other black women? So she went off and set up this group called Stepping Sisters, um, which I think, you know, is now fairly well known within, you know, the Bristol community and even further out. And essentially it's a, it's a walking group for black women um, to, A, to form that community, but also to provide that support. You know, if you're, you might not always feel comfortable with your, whether you're, whether you're black or white, just being a lone woman walking. Um, but if you do it in a group, you sort of have that, A, that physical safety, that solidarity, that social aspect. So, yeah, now they arrange walking sort of, you know, both in urban sites but also kind of in the southwest. And, yeah, I think they've gone from strength to strength. It does look like it. They look yeah. phenomenally popular. Yeah. I mean, I was reading, I think they've now got over 700 members. Wow. And they, yeah, and they only started last year. Yeah. Yeah. And I believe that they are shortly going to be doing a radio show on Ujima. Oh, there yeah. you go. You see, you know more than me. Like, I mean, oh, yeah, yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Step, so Stepping Sisters, yeah, they're, they're doing fantastic work. And I'm going to try think, and get them on the show. Yeah, oh, yeah, she's, I, she's a great character yeah. as well. Yeah. No, it'd be, yeah. it would be really good to talk to her about that whole experience. Yeah. It'd be really nice. Yeah. Um, and so she's she's another one of your podcasts, she's isn't another she? One. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. Yeah. So basically, if they go to Park Lives, yeah. well, I'll put it all on the on the Facebook page anyway. Um uh, yeah, so good. Really oh, interesting to you. hear yeah, about no. those. Yeah, and very inspiring. And look, look at what happens yeah. from you know these tiny things of one woman going for a walk, and then it just—it's like what we were saying earlier about the effect of 
the ambassador programme. Yeah. There are all these ripple effects of these things, yeah. aren't they? Yeah. Because it's all yeah. connected. It's all connected. It is it's all, all connected. connected. <laughs> it's what it's all about. <laughs> There's, there's actually quite a lot of stuff on, but can't go through it all. But the first thing that we have to talk about is the Bristol Walkfest, which is going on until the end of the month. And it, it is fantastic. There are so many walks. Um, I mean, I've just got in front of me the walks happening tomorrow and Thursday. We have Clifton's Origins and Architecture Treasure Hunt. We have My Wild City... Um, a historic audio walk at Manor Woods, Blackbeard to Banksy, um, Crime and Crinolines in Clifton walking, Seamills Nature Trail, uh, loads of stuff. Introduction to foraging and folklore of the countryside, uh, Nordic walking taster session, walking football, Badox Wood Bird Stroll, Old City Walk, walking netball. Dundry and Mays Knoll, I don't know how you pronounce that, Mays Knoll Walk. There's loads. Uh, Blood and Butchery in Bedminster, lovely. Um, yeah, there's there's a ton of stuff. So basically, if you just look up Bristol Walkfest online, Stepping Sisters have been part of this. Um, I couldn't find, I, they, I don't think there's one in the next couple of days. I think they had one just a couple of days ago. But they are featured as well. They have walks. Um, so, yeah, if you just look them up, there are loads every single day. And I discovered there is an app called Go Jauntly, as in J-A-U-N-T-L-Y. Um, and it says, why not go go jauntly and Bristol City Council for a walk a day in May? So they're basically encouraging you to active travel. A 15-minute walk to the local shops or a jaunt around the city running errands or taking the dog for a stroll on your lunch break, they all count. Bristol's Walking Challenge starts on Sunday the 1st of May and runs till the end of the month. It doesn't matter where you live, anyone can join the challenge and walk with us. And as a special extra for Bristol-based folk, prizes will be awarded each week with one overall prizer... Sorry, a prizer... With one overall winner too... Um, prizes include a free Go Jauntly annual premium subscription, plus a two-for-one voucher for a Bristol attraction and a Fitbit. So, if you get the app, I think the app is free. Presumably, you have to pay, pay to upgrade. Not quite sure what you get with the upgrade. Do you know about this app at all? Yeah, I, I know. It came out of, um, there's a guy, an academic called Miles Richardson, I think, at the University of Derby, who does a lot to work around nature connection. And I think it kind of came out of, his stuff and yes i think it's free to download just as it is and then yeah there's an upgrade to probably get mm. access to more maps or walks or something like that yeah i mean i downloaded it yesterday it okay. does look good because it suggests a load of walks in yeah. your area and i know there are loads of these things but i like the idea of these the, the prizes for you know because it does apparently it does work gets people out <laughs> and doing things because i suppose we all like a bit of a target to aim for yeah. don't we yeah. you know um and then there's one more thing I just wanted to mention. The Climate Justice Coalition. There is a meeting at the People's Republic of Stokescroft on the 24th of May 
at 6.45pm. Um, and I think it's just to discuss where it goes from here. Coalition members include environment and development, NGOs, trade unions, grassroots community campaigns, faith groups. Um, so if you're interested in going to that, then go along at 6.45 and I think you may be able to join by Zoom. I'm not sure, but just Google or Google, put into your search engine the Climate Justice Coalition and you will find that. Next week, I'm going to be talking to Phil Corbell from the Carbon Literacy Project, um, which is basically trying to sort of train people about all things to do with carbon and what it means. Um, and because it's, it's a, you know, it's a massive field, as I'm discovering on this programme. So many things are affected by it. Roy, thank you so much for coming on the oh, show again. Th- thank you for having me. Not at all. It's been yeah. great. And uh, will you keep in touch and let us know of any other projects that you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. And my, my, my final shout-out would be if, you're, if you are 16 to 19 you're, or if you know any, we'll be opening back up for a Bright Green Future and it's completely free. Um, it's all paid for. So, yeah, have a, have a Google or on your search engine <laughs> <laughs> for Bright Green Future and, um, yeah, maybe I'll see you on it. Fantastic. Um, so until next week, we'll see you then. Okay, bye-bye. Mm-hmm.